right. Before we get started. I'll tell you this before we get started. Okay, right. On the way back from Spain, uh-huh. Alicante International Airport, you go through security, you go through duty-free, the first shop you see, W. E. Smith's. <laughs> and it actually is. It's got W. E. Smith's stopping, hola, on the side. <laughs> and all they sell is fucking Hello Magazine. Oh, hola, as it is actually called in Spain. William Jose Smith's. No, because it would be W. J. Smith's. So is this oh, okay. right, yeah, well, yeah, well, it's definitely well, trying to think of a Spanish name beginning with an H, isn't Herrera? Or, yeah, there's none. Yeah. So, you, yeah, you'd see, but... Yeah, second name again. Okay, so the joke failed. Hector, right? Hector. Hector. Yeah, Hector. <laughs> so he's just taking any name and putting a Spanish accent on it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Billy. <laughs> oh, my name is Hemish. <laughs> <laughs> and this will happen when we drink before we start recording. <laughs> Hello everybody, welcome to the Promise Box episode 5, this is the Doctor Who podcast, if it's Doctor Who the Doc, I'm Lee. And I'm Dave. Right, uh, let's get the important stuff out of the way before we get into the meat and drink of what we do in this podcast. Uh, the drink and drink. The, the, the drink and drink, yeah, we've had, well, a couple of drinks before we started, we're recording this on a Friday night instead of our yeah. usual Thursday, so, you know, we're allowing ourselves a little bit of time beforehand and uh, it's a Friday night it's the summer holidays we can relax yeah and we've brought an extra level of sophistication uh, to this recording session because uh, well I've got my glass of Prosecco here yeah and I've got my Jelly Babies and Dark Island Ale yeah your Jelly Babies and a little sort of ramekin dish which you can probably hear but just uh, there you go that's sophistication folks yeah, not out the packet in this podcast so there's not the usual rustling noise in the background <laughs> you both still get the chewing no. oh yeah yeah, yeah you're still wouldn't be the same without the chewing noise. Yeah, and it probably start the jelly babies as well, wouldn't we? We're just going to call that the special effects in the background <sighs> of this show. So this is our version of the radiophonic workshop. Yeah. But we just found the talent or yeah. the machinery. Yeah. We've got a ramekin dish of jelly babies and a glass top on the desk. Yeah. But you know, touch sophistication. You've got your dark island and your fancy wee Stella glass. I've yeah. got the bottle of Prosecco. Cheers. Cheers indeed. Used to be the most sophisticated podcast recorded in Edinburgh. Although we have been sent for ten minutes, so there's only half I think of jelly babies left. We've eaten the rest already. Yeah, actually, those have lasted longer than they normally do. Yeah. Anyway, let's uh, get the little bits of admin out of the way first yeah. before we get onto. We'll do our usual thing. Uh, so, the bit you've been hanging on for, folks, you know, these last two weeks. Quinoa update. Quinoa. Quinoa for dinner again tonight. No, it wasn't. There was no quinoa in it. There were the, I was led to believe there was quinoa. I lied. I tell you, there's quinoa in everything. Okay. Well, I should point out that your hipster food stuff dabbling has uh, had an effect. Uh, we now have quinoa in our house. Uh, you see, yeah, but you bought it in little. But does that not count? Uh, is, that a, is that a lesser level of quinoa? You I suppose you could call that imported specialist quinoa. Right. <laughs> Rather than this generic big brand quinoa, it is accompanied by some bulger wheat as well. Oh, yeah, so does mine. 
Does it? Ah, yeah, they oh, bulk okay. it out with that because it's cheaper. All oh, right, okay. So it's not as as impressive as I mean, but, like to believe then. But when I was in Spain, there was a T-shirt that just said on the front of it, "Quinoa and Kale." When I mean, you mentioned that earlier on, I think we should probably make use of this. We should get a bulk jobberies printed up and just hand them out for people who comment on the, the Twitter feed. If you get the best comment on an episode, then we can send you a quinoa and kale t-shirt. Yep. No. <laughs> Alright, okay. You know, I, just thought, I think if people sense. listen to us, they've been put off enough already. We oh. don't need to threaten them with t-shirts either. That's true. Uh, so Keenmas uh, Keenmas covered um, News and Doctor Who Last two weeks Nothing at all That's good Because I was aware I didn't notice anything It's been Yeah no, it's, Yeah, yeah. But, but they'll probably be filming In uh, Lanzarote again uh, Like they have done For the last two years But yeah, it's Comic Con At the moment So there might be stuff Coming out this weekend Yeah I mean it, I wonder about that Because the Christmas special I don't know if that's Been recorded yet Because normally They do record it In the middle of summer Before they start recording The yeah. series proper But then I've not seen any sort of news come out about yeah. locations or anything yeah I mean there's not even any hints of who's going to be in it there's been the rumours about John Barrowman being in it but that's because he's unfounded he spreads rumours about being involved in everything he's just trying to keep his career going <laughs> I'm sure he's got a very successful blossoming career in the musical theatre yeah but there's also all he's worked with you know nope nothing mm. he's just hanging on for that live and kicking revival isn't he Waiting for the phone call from Zoe Ball and Jamie Fixton to get his old job back. Oh, I forgot he was in that. Yeah, he was, yeah. Thanks for bringing that back in there. That's, <laughs> that's what I really needed. Yeah. That was back in his serious presenting days when he wasn't over the top or camp. Yeah, because nothing says camp like breakfast television for children. <laughs> We're looking at you and Vic. <laughs> and, and you, Andy Peters. Oh, he has reinvented himself as chief miserablest of MasterChef now. Has he? I've not watched any of this. Oh, yeah. MasterChef. I mean, a celebrity MasterChef. He gets brought in as one of the judges every year and he's the most dour bastard ever why why but what no I'm not going to bother I'm not going to engage right okay don't feed the trolls <laughs> why the fuck is he a judge on Celebrity Masterchef because he had lunch once uh, uh, yeah I can only imagine that you know Christopher Biggins was busy this year and there was a booking emergency and he was the only one available yeah there's so many better people you could think of that aren't doing any other work yeah I mean the whole format's flawed anyway Celebrity Masterchef but it doesn't involve Roger Delgado Anthony Ainley John Sim yeah but was it a Cannon or a Ball that was on it this year uh, that would have been Tommy Cannon yeah yeah. so he's a celebrity an yeah. actual celebrity uh-huh. not, not one of these pointless celebrity celebrities well, okay <laughs> if, if your level of celebrity is Tommy Cannon from long forgotten 80s comedy duo Cannon and Ball that's your point sorry, sorry have, I, have I crossed the line you're here? making yeah. a serious point here. Dave, Dave is now staring at me very intently I've, I'm sorry I think I've crossed the line shall we get to this uncomfortable situation and get on what we're supposed to be doing are we going to talk about what else Cannon and Ball have been up to because <laughs> uh, Bobby Ball was in that thing with Lee Mack not going out yeah he was in that as Lee Mack's dad for a while Oh, of course it was, yeah. 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 They did, they did, they See, proper celebrities. <laughs> well, they've had a big enough deal to have their own film in the 80s as well. Were they? Oh, yeah, it was something Blues and Twos or something. They played two incompetent police officers. Ah, I'm going to have to look that up later. Yeah, but I've looked it up in Wikipedia, but I can't find any trace of it. So I don't know if it was maybe just some sort of fever dream I've had. I'll and bet it's, it's not on Amazon Prime, I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Ellison, we can't even get Rain and Stimpy on Amazon Prime. I know. What chance have we got with 
anything. I do have all of Rand's Stimpy on my PC, though. We could watch it after this. We could do. Yeah. We could force our wives who are about in the next room as we record this. Uh, yeah, they're watching enough. Clueless. Yeah, so. And drinking the rest of the Prosecco. They were going to have a whole bottle, but you complained that you weren't allowed any, so they gave you something to keep you quiet. But listen, I bought that Prosecco with my own money out of the goodness of my heart, carried it all the way from Edinburgh City Centre up to Mayfield. And did I get offered the glass? No, I had to guilt them into it. I think you'll find us a different bottle of Prosecco they're drinking, because they drink a lot of it. Well, regardless, listeners, the Prosecco is very tasty. It's actually the uh, Morrison's Prosecco. Mm. It's got an orange label, and it's reduced at the moment. Well, we're really going out for, all out for these sponsorship deals. Yeah. We've uh, put a picture up on Twitter of their sophisticated soiree we're hosting this evening Indeed. with the uh, Prosecco glass. Jelly babies in a dish, so you know if anybody from Maynard's or whoever brews Dark Island's listening, or... Yeah, indeed, any makers of any sort of Prosecco or alcohol, but I want to take sponsorship deals, that's absolutely fine. That is quite strange that there's no Jelly Baby's Twitter account. Yeah, I was I was quite surprised at that as well. Shocked and saddened, personally. Yeah. I mean, basically, we'll just sell out this entire podcast for sweets and booze. Yeah. I mean, but it's a Scottish podcast after all, so I mean, we've got certain stereotypes to adhere to. I wonder if we could get sponsorship from Bells. <laughs> <laughs> that's pies, not whiskey. Oh, now, see, but, well, no, both. Oh, I'm okay on nah. whiskey. Nah. 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 Maybe when we get to the Bells of St John episode, we could uh, just make the emphasis on the word bells all the time. This episode sponsored by Chicken Curry Pies. <laughs> Go on. You know you like them, really. <laughs> How did we get to that from the Christmas special of Doctor Who? I uh, have no idea. Yeah, I know. That's a, right. So there is no Doctor Who news no, whatsoever. Out, um, yeah. It's been treated with the utmost secrecy. People are shot if they have so much of a breather word about it after leaving the set, so... Yeah, yeah, nothing to After even as a set, we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's just all filmed entirely in blue screen, like Underworld was. Yeah, but maybe at raging success. Maybe they're filming it undercover at Comic Con. That's why there's no news coming out. They're actually filming it this weekend, <laughs> just to stop John Barman turning up and see if there's any work going. <laughs> this is constantly on the phone to Stephen Moffat. Stephen, Stephen, yeah. have you got a bird for me, Stephen? I don't know why he's Irish. <laughs> I have no idea. That's but it shows the versatility and range of John Barrowman's accent. It does, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't sound like a watered down American anymore. No. Because that's all Canadians are. But he's Glaswegian. Yeah. Uh, apparently. That'd be quite nice to see John Barrowman come back and speak to Peter Capaldi and say, Hey, fellow Scotsman! <laughs> Just see a look on Capaldi's face. <laughs> the fuck you are. Who <laughs> 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 my TARDIS? Fucking inside your ass. Hey, what are you saying, man? <laughs> Hey, do you remember when I was doing the opening ceremony for the Glasgow Commonwealth Games? Oh, wait, you That fuck. one with the fucking Tunnock's tea cakes dancing. <laughs> Get out of my time machine. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, back to our topic of but, links. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's get on with uh, let's get on with the podcast properly. Uh, yeah, because the housekeeping we, from last time. So. Yep. Last time we spanned the wheel of justice, and we were unfortunate enough to be landed with the androids of Tara. Indeed. Uh, underwhelming slice of uh, Tom Baker from the Key to Time season that was uh, alright no it's, it's the dullest thing ever recorded on it man yeah but that, it wasn't offensive it wasn't good it wasn't bad it was just me yeah so yeah we put that up to the vote as we do with all our episodes uh, let you decide and we've got the results so which way do you think it's going I think it's a draw it was for a while, it was 50-50 for a good couple of days of the poll still to go, so... Uh, Is that because nobody had voted yet? <laughs> nobody <laughs> could bring themselves to even... Cameron hadn't made his mind up. <laughs> so, the results from Polis Box episode 4, the androids of Tara, guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who? I'm guessing it was guilty. 
guilty. 33%. So not guilty, 67%, which means it's officially in our unofficial, official all-time canon of Doctor Who. It's been pardoned of its crimes. I believe that's another one for me. That is another one for you, because you were defending it. Right, so what's that, 3-1 now? Uh, 4-1. 4-1. I've only won the Amy's Choice episode, so yeah, you're you're stretching ahead here. So if I win this one, it's the traditional scrolling of 5-1. Five 5-1, five one. One. yeah. That's good. I didn't think we were going to mention football no, tonight. No, we're not mentioning football. Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a touchy subject with Dave. Uh, the day after, Howard's got put with the Europa League by a Maltese team. Third best Maltese team. <laughs> that's, like, that's like saying it's the third best episode in season 24. I mean, come on. Yeah. The competition's not fierce. No. So, yeah, yeah, it's uh, off the hook. Yeah. Not convicted of crimes against Doctor. I mean, that's fine. You know, if it's, it's a democratic vote, if our listeners decide that the androids of Tara's you know, good and worthy of pardon then that's up to them and even though and I won I just like to say if you keep making decisions like that we're going to start recording in Turkey <laughs> where there's lot, lots 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 less democracy <laughs> just going to hear a military to overthrow this podcast not attempt to and then fail ah sorry yeah, yeah. yeah. much like everything we do and then this. get put down and we'll sack all the teachers because that'll work out well <laughs> sorry so that's the politics section of the podcast yeah. covered Let's go on to what we're covering in this episode. Yes. We're going back to season one. Chris Eckwinston's first series of The Doctor and there's troubles with the Stiffs in Cardiff. You're from London. I've seen London in drawings, but never like that. All those people rushing about, half naked for shame. And the noise. And the metal boxes racing past and the birds in the sky know, know they're metal as well. Metal birds with people in them. People are flying. And you, you've flown so far further than anyone. The things you've seen. The darkness. The big bad wolf. <laughs> the skiffs are getting lively again. What? How does McGuire is this? The Unquiet Dead. Uh, it's written by Mark Guess, uh, directed by Euros Lynn, broadcast on the 9th of April 2005, and the total viewing figures were 8.8 .8 million, which is pretty good. Yeah, but it was first season back, it was only it was an early episode in the series, so it still had all the extravagant support behind it, and all the people wanting it to do well. But I kept that sort of viewing figures all the way through the first series, so you know, obviously, first flush of being back. Yeah. It's a massive success again. And, you know, that's, yeah, that's I'm pretty sure it maybe climbed to about 9, 10 million of yeah. various points in the season. They hadn't started doing the Daleks every second episode yet. <laughs> a fine tradition that carries on to this yep. day. 
Only because Terry Nation's estate insisted on it. Which one is it this week, Daleks or Cybermen? All right, mm, then. Well, you can use the Daleks, I suppose. If you don't, I'm taking my ball and going here. Yeah. So, uh, right, you're going to be defending I, this I one. I am defending this You've, one, which is fairly easy. Yeah, I mean, I've got my work cut out with this one because, I'll be honest, there's not a lot to prosecute it for. There's nothing major. Yeah. There's I mean, a few little bits and pieces. I mean, I don't have any major problems with them, quite did. No. So thanks for listening. We'll be back with episode six yeah. in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, that's that'd be quite a good. Fifteen minutes of waffling followed by two minutes of us <laughs> agree in the end. <laughs> the ratio is about the same with every similar episode we yeah, do, though, isn't it? Is. it? Yeah. So I'll I'll let you start. You defend the Unquiet Dead. I'll chip um, in. Have to start with the opening. It's a really good, not necessarily traditional, but a really good opening to any episode of anything. The opening sequence. You've got none of the main characters. You get very little background. All you know is. It's the olden days. There's dead people. Oh shit, the dead people are getting inhabited by something. It's a ghost, let's all run away. And then the music starts. So it doesn't tell you anything, it just hooks you in. Yeah. I mean, these are kind of like the new cliffhangers, these pre-season, yeah, pre-season, pre, uh, pre-title sequences. Yeah. They're, yeah, yeah they're just a short little one, yeah. one minute thirty, get you in, get you hooked, it, and then bang on with the story. It's the pitch for the story. Mm-hmm. It's like this it. So in this episode, it's olden times and there's ghosts, and that's all you need. And they go, all right then, make it. <laughs> and that's largely it sets the scene and it tells an alright story. It's not the greatest story, but it's it's a different body, which is always nice. Mm-hmm. It's a different form of story because obviously Mark Gaius did it, so it's got shades of hammer horror and it. it's got spookiness, it's got ghosts, it's got death. It's got all the stuff that he likes and is good at. That's one of the reasons why I like it, and it's probably a flow of it as well. You know, Mark Gatiss was quite involved with Doctor Who when it was off air from the 90s, but apart from the TV movie, when it came back for one night only. Yeah. He was one of the guys that kept the film alive, you know, and got himself involved in sort of the novelisations of, you know, yeah. existing stories or new ones. This episode is probably the culmination of things he's had in his head since childhood from yes. watching Doctor Who it's kind of like the first album syndrome where you know a band have had 20 to 25 years depending on their age to write that first album so all the good stuff is filtered down into 12 tracks yep. and then you've got the difficult second album but in Mark Gattis' case you've got the difficult second, third, fourth, fifth sixth, seventh episode afterwards Yeah. so while it's a fantastic bit of Doctor Who and a great bit of writing and the script's really well realised and the characters are all well fleshed out it probably hamstrings them later on down the line because the expectations are so soon. high yeah yeah. and uh, sometimes I was thinking earlier do you think the title of this episode was aimed at all the Doctor Who fans that had kept it going because they were the unquiet dead uh, yeah. it, it was a dead programme nobody was going to watch it nobody was going to make it again and they just wouldn't shut up and stop whining about it yeah, yeah, so they that's, brought that's, it back that's a fair point. Yeah, that's very clear. I know. I was thinking about that earlier. Yeah, I do think sometimes. <laughs> no, that's a good point, though. I mean, like I say, I mean, he was heavily involved in keeping the flame alive, as yeah. Russell T Davis was, as Gareth Roberts, and but it's almost Davis like Roberts. a love letter to old Doctor Who, ah, because it's it's not heavy on the special effects. Well, special effects there are good, but not huge. Mm-hmm. It's not floating Daleks going up the stairs. It's not massive spaceships. Yeah. It's smoking mirrors on the screen, and that's it. It's low key. Yeah, but in a good way. It's low key and low budget. 
Yeah. And that's all it needs to be. Yeah. You can tell it's a bit of it's a bit of a fanboying going on as well because it's very much like one of those Tom Baker episodes that was written or script edited by Robert Holmes and produced by Philip Kim so they've got these sort of old sort of gothic tones running through yeah. like Talons of Wayne Chiang uh, Brain and Morbius ripping off Frankenstein they're all borrowing yeah. from gothic horror yeah oh. which this does massively yeah but then that's Mark Gattis isn't it I mean yeah, he's massively influenced by what you say Hammer films he's, he's done lots of documentaries for like BBC4 where he goes back to the really old Italian horror films yeah and they're and brilliant documentaries if and you the see it from they've had, they are really really good and you can see all the influences of all of that coming out and the better Doctor Who episodes he's done yeah, because as you say in some of your notes, he isn't necessarily suited to sci-fi, as in like hard sci-fi. But where it's ghosts and spookiness and things that are just outside the realm of humanity, he is really good at it. Yeah, he knows how to spook people. Yeah, I don't like to pigeonhole the guy because he's obviously a very talented writer and he's good at what he does. And he's a not bad actor as well. Yeah, but he's that seems to be his comfort zone yeah. because it's what he's steeped in and what he's been invested in all his life. I think it's what he puts more love into and more emotion into and that's why it comes off as better. Yeah. Because he's not he's not trying to tell a story, he is feeling the story when he tells it. Mm-hmm. Which I don't think he's as good at with sci fi. Yeah, um you kinda of fault him with some episodes. I mean last his last episode, Sleep No More, is a case in point. That's probably the most divisive one he's ever written. But it's yeah. quite very experimental. Oh yeah. And you're either gonna love it or hate it, there's no middle there. Whether well, it actually works, I don't know. I mean, but we'll obviously get to that when we cover it. Yeah. I'll get to that in more detail about two and a half years down the line. Yeah. <laughs> if it's <Excellent>. work. <laughs> we might still be recording this episode at that point. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's obviously a big love letter to gothic horror and hammer horror films and Doctor Who. Yeah. So it's like a perfect storm. And, and Charles Dickens. And Charles Dickens, yeah. yeah. Got, like, the Doctor goes on a lot about how much he likes Dickens, the influence Dickens has had. Which is fine, but I don't know if Dickens was the right character. Yeah, you said this earlier on, that you could have dropped any Victorian character into this. I think think a lot of Victorian writers would have been a better choice than Dickens. But then there's none more famous than Dickens. I mean, this is the first historical they've done since it came back. Yes. And if you're going to do that, if they're going to have it as what has now become known as a celebrity historical... Yes. Yeah, probably going to need the most recognisable author of the time or a public figure of the time. So if you're looking for an author from the Victorian period, they they don't really get much more famous than Charles Dickens, do you? We we could argue that point about Conan Doyle, but that's fine. <laughs> but I think that with Dickens, his most famous or his most used story is A Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. which is about a man visited by ghosts. Yeah. And the character of Dickens in this gets really upset when he sees a ghost because it challenges everything that he believes which felt a bit incongruous to me because he's written stories with ghosts he obviously believes in ghosts but then when he sees one he questions everything Yeah. and that felt a bit wrong whereas he could have used I think Conan Doyle the, the man who wrote Sherlock Holmes was the most logical detective of all time and he could have had all the same stuff in there but when he questions logic from writing Sherlock Holmes it would be more understandable or that would feel better for me. Not just because he went to Moscow. <laughs> not at the same time. No. No, you're not that old. A couple of years before. No, <laughs> yeah, he, he was a prefect. It's <laughs> funny you mentioned the Christmas Carol there because I was listening to the commentary and reading up in this episode before tonight. And apparently, during the first draft of writing this, it was much, much more similar to a Christmas Carol, but Mark Gattis was unconsciously writing it that way. 
yeah. and you can still see it. Yeah, you know, it, it's still the man whose life's changed overnight by visitations and ghosts, and, and you can see that in it. Yeah, so you know, it's, it's the, the influence is still there, but I still think Charles Dickens is the right choice. That's fine. I can see. I can see. I, I take on board what you yeah. say. It would work with Conan Doyle as well. It would work with you know, like, yeah. like you say, this, you know, the many things about it logically. But you've got unless you've got the best person to play Charles Dickens, Simon Callow. Yes. Who uh, this has been his great sort of for twenty years. Yeah. yeah. So he plays it to perfection. I mean, there's not no fault I can find in anything he does. But it's also when the doctor was saying how big a fan he was, saying I'm your number one fan, which made me think of Misery, the Stephen King story. Right. And that jumped out at me because he was going on about I'm your number one fan, I'm your number one fan, and I could see Stephen King being a big influence of his as well, and I could see that being used. Yeah, might not be. It might be me seeing Stephen King everywhere because I do. Is, it, <laughs> is that the clown you see in your nightmares with the red balloon? Nightmares, occasional erotic dreams. Yeah. <laughs> we all float down here. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you. I don't have a problem with the influence of all the things that he shows mm. like I've been influenced by a lot of them as well it's not like he's been influenced by anything particularly crap I mean the whole thing's got little nods and little love letters to you know previous episodes of Doctor Who or little nods yeah. back to the past so I think that's what works in his favour it's that's what makes it a really satisfying episode because it's done with such care yes. and such meticulous attention to things but it's still it's not obsessing on those and it's still concentrating on making a really good story yeah the end jokes are on a side yeah. rather than the reason for any of the scenes except for the happy medium joke <laughs> which was funny but <laughs> but one of our commenters later on doesn't think so but we'll get to, we'll get to that later uh, right so, the, the story sorry go so ahead yeah, that, that's the yeah. background yeah the story itself it's alright as I say it's new baddies they're different but they never really feel all that threatening they're made of gas, ooh, they're scary, unless you turn the gas on, in which case they go away. Okay. And a lot of people complained that this was a really scary episode. Yeah, there were a lot of complaints uh, after this went out that it was apparently too scary for children. But that's what Doctor Who is. Yeah, that's what it should be. It's like Robert Holmes used to say, you know, you want to scare the little buggers. Yeah, but everyone remembers Doctor Who and the thing to say about, oh yeah, Doctor Who, I remember hiding behind the couch. It was meant to be scary. Yeah, kids like to be scared. And to be honest, if you were scared enough to complain when you watched this, I would not want to have seen the state of your underpants after you watched Blink. <laughs> because compared with this, Blink is terrifying. Blink is, yeah, Blink is... It's a different type of horror in Blink. Yeah. It's more... I, I, I want to, I've not watched Blink in a couple of years now, but from what I remember, it's more psychological. Um, yeah, it is. It's much more... It, it's literally if you don't see them they're going to come get you yeah, it's whereas this you can see them because they're gaseous yeah it's more the suggestion of what might happen in yeah whereas yeah. this yeah if you breathe out heavily you'll probably blow them away yeah do, do you not think the girlfriend are good villains then? um the theory of them is good I think the actual fear of them isn't that strong the only time you're actually terrified of or scared of them is when they'd inhabited dead bodies and it was zombies or mummies right and it was yet more of his influences of the slow shuffling mummies with their hands out mm-hmm. and then they were scary when they were in the gassy state that wasn't that scary I've been I'm sort of caught in the middle with the Gelf because they're good villains but not in the traditional cape swirling moustache twirling you know, pantomime villain sense yeah they're not outwardly scary no. but they're clever villains I mean 
later on in the episode where they're, uh, they're trying to come through the rift through Gwyneth. Yeah. Uh, with the seance. Yep. They play in the Doctor's guilt about the time war. But to manipulate him. Is into that because they know who the Doctor is? How do they know who the Doctor is? They must do because all the way through series one, practically everybody he meets has heard about the time war. Yeah. But it's obvious because a massive cataclysmic event in the universe. Yeah. And you know, there's all the tales about the Doctor, and you know. But do they know that the Doctor's there, and that's who he is? They must do. I'd imagine. I don't think it's ever covered. Yeah, it's not explicitly stated, but then yeah. it doesn't have to be. I mean, I suppose you could always say, "Yeah, we're running away from the Time War," and everyone knows what the Time War is. So they go, "All right, then." Yeah. Come on through. That's something. That was a clever touch, though, that they played on the Doctor's guilt and his shame about his involvement and what he done in the Time War. Yeah. To try and manipulate their way into the universe and that was smart but what wasn't smart was turning evil as soon as the door was opened <laughs> like, a, bit, a bit of subtlety a bit of shade at least like she stands there and goes the door's opening they're coming through and they go oh, thank you very much haha <laughs> we're evil now <laughs> I you like I would have waited till like half of us were through and it was too late to stop it and instead of just going like hello is anyone there oh, I'm going to rob you now like it's <laughs> It was too quick a change, and I know that's for storytelling reasons. Oh. But, yeah, it fell a bit quick that they turned evil. Yeah, there's another point I was going to make about them, actually. Uh, the flip side to that, what was it? Ah, oh, yeah, that was it, yeah. Right, later on in the episode, when Dickens, the penny drops with Dickens when he's outside, yep. right? Now, the Gelf live in the gas, right? Yeah. That's how they keep themselves safe. Yeah. Right? Later on, when Dickens is running for his life outside the house, they when a girl follows him yep. gets into the oxygen outside yep. and that's not a tolerable atmosphere so the first thing it does is go back into the gas in the street lab yep. so Dickens goes back in yep. and he has a bright idea of turning the gas on yep. to draw the girl out of the bodies yeah. why did they suddenly then become powerless because if they are safe in the gas and they come out of the bodies into the gas because they weren't in the bodies anymore but surely those bodies are still they've been used fairly recently and I know they burn out pretty quickly but they've only been menacing the doctor for about two minutes top so what's the stop them just going back into their bodies and picking up where they left off and snapping Dickens's neck and uh, next nothing that's, yeah I mean yeah. It's, that, that's where it sort of falls down a wee bit for me that, that seems flawed and I know Doctor Who is full of examples of oh yeah we need a quick polter resolution yeah let's talk really fast and put some fake science in there and I hope nobody notices we have a sonic screwdriver and it'll go away yeah I, I just I, yeah I know they needed to wrap up the episode and but it just seemed yeah. a, a little bit illogical I don't know yeah why they couldn't have done something else with it what would they have done though I don't know I mean I've not that's the thing I've not got any maybe, maybe that was their problem maybe they came up with loads of stuff and that was the best <laughs> yeah being a highly skilled and talented writer that I am I had no ideas what they could yeah. do better so you know but, but that's a minor gripe really it's a minor one but it's a fair one yeah and you know I've only really got minor gripes about this so you know I'm, yeah. I'm clutching at straws really but also it does this episode is the star of Eccleston becoming the Doctor yeah like he's actually becoming into the role instead of an actor playing a character yeah. um, it starts off with him and Rose not working together that well and they bond through this episode which as you've seen you know it does feel a bit forced at times I'm so glad I met you three hours ago. Oh right, well, see that is that is my main that's my main annoyance about this, right? I'm not one of these fans who has a big beef with the whole romantic element of the two main characters and the new version of Doctor Who, right? Yeah. But at that point where they're stuck in the little cellar and dungeon about to be yeah. killed, 
and it's oh I'm so glad I met you but he's it's only been on two dates with her it's a yeah. bloody needy mate I mean calm, you know, calm down play it cool don't be so over keen yeah at that point he was however many hundreds of years old he's been with her for maximum three months <laughs> but even though in the two previous stories she's not really excelled herself or anyway no. or proved herself to be invaluable that he couldn't possibly do without her no she's not she's she's been there that's yeah. about it I just, I just wonder if that's maybe down quite dead was meant to maybe, maybe later on in the run, for you know they've had time for the relationship to develop, and it's maybe maybe moved back to episode three for production's reasons or filming reasons. Yeah, it just seems really out of place. It, it does, because uh, as I say at the start, they're not getting on that well, they're not working together well, and then by the end, they're like busy mates. Yeah, BFFs, matching <laughs> bracelets, and it. And it does feel like there's no reason it should be that way. <laughs> it's like the first episode where he tells her, oh yeah, by the way, time could change, you might die. It's just really jarring because I know later on it becomes a whole sort of romantic relationship and they can't do possibly do a future, especially when it gets to tenants' time. Yeah. But, you know, like you say, there, there's friction there and they don't really particularly get on all that well during this episode. No. And it's more a sort of admiration based relationship yeah. between the two of them that he recognises that she's maybe, yeah she's a bit special and you know <laughs> not in that sense stop sniggering <laughs> but, but don't let's not go back to the Dimsy Ewok from last time <laughs> but that's part of my notes for this is the Rose is realising that she's different mm-hmm. because she's talking with Eve Miles and she says to her you've got all the clothes you're dressed like a proper lady but she fucking isn't <laughs> but you, you talk like a tear away kind of thing she goes maybe that's not a bad thing she's realising that she's different and that that's not necessarily bad and that she's never fighting and this is her calling and that kind of thing and that's good for her character and it helps the character grow as does the fact that this is the first mention of her dead dad Mm -hmm. as in this episode and all the issues that she's got with that Uh, it's the first mention of the big bad wolf yep Um, but the big thing about this and I know I'm meant to be defending it but here's a point for the prosecution for a lot of people. All right. Set in Cardiff, mm-hmm. first mention of the rift. Right. This is basically responsible for Torchwood. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big mark against it for a lot of well, people. Well, well, that's a fair accusation to level it. Well, yeah, eventually it does become responsible for Torchwood yeah. because that's where the story of the rift starts. Whether Russell T. Davis had advised Torchwood by this point, I know he did pretty much early on in the yeah. series run because it came around after the end of the first, second series. But you can see so, if he was thinking about a spin-off, yeah. then all of a sudden there's this story where there's a rift in Cardiff where all this weirdness happens. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, we also happen to have BBC filming studios in Cardiff <laughs> and this crazy American bloke that wants to work for yeah. it. Casually he's moving to Bristol and got a spare studio. What shall we do with it? Yeah. But I like that about Series 1, though, because there is an arc there, but and I don't know if we didn't notice it the first time round because we weren't used to it. there being an arc in Doctor Who Freddy yep. through a series of episodes I mean, fine there's like the key to time and the trial of the time lord but they're very explicitly stated at the beginning what's going on Yeah, you're looking for a quest for the key to time your doctor's on trial Yeah, this is all little references chucked in here and there they get a bit too heavy handed with the arcs later on Yes, uh, as much as I like series 3 the Harold Saxon thing is laid on a bit thick in places. Yes. And then there's a whole ridiculous thing in series four where it's muddled as healer about Rose coming back and then the next week it's about the bees disappearing, which yeah. is dropped after episode four and never mentioned again. Yeah. So there's not, you know, a, a solid a line going through that series. This is just little sort of nods to things that are coming and 
even just look at even go back and watching the first series, it doesn't seem as if they're trying to hammer home a point about no. what's coming up. Doesn't mention the riff, doesn't mention the big bad wolf, which is well I really mentioned a few episodes. Yeah. So I, I like I like the subtlety of series yeah. one. It's almost like they got handed and also saying, make sure you get this line in there somewhere. Don't care who says it. To get somebody to say it. Yeah, that's more or less what happened. Yeah. You know, Russell T. Davis handing out notes to the writers when they were, you know, drafting the scripts. Here's what I want. Little lines chucked in here and there that yeah. But even if he didn't tell them the whole overarching thing that was coming, just make yeah. sure somebody mentions a big bad wolf. Aye, and then you can tie it up yeah. later on. And they're going to be like, why? Why am I mentioning that? What's going on? I go, I'm not telling you. Yeah. Because they wouldn't know either. And it's all hinged around Rose as well. And I've probably said this before, I must have done when we were talking about School Reunion. I'd much prefer Rose in Series 1 to the Rose in Series 2. She's softer in Series 1. Yeah, she's more grounded, more down to earth. She's more believable as a real person. Yeah. She's definitely more the audience identification figure. Yes. Because she's the one who gets the little quiet scenes with supporting characters. Yeah. And what just what she's got in this. Yeah, she provides a little emotional touch, and especially when they see McGuinness. Yeah, the humanity. But they, yeah, and she bonds with the characters. Yeah. And gives the viewer a different perspective on the sporting characters that might have otherwise just been window dressing. Yeah. And then she becomes an annoyingly smug arsehole in series two when uh, yeah. her and David Tennant are smugging their way across the universe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that really spoils it after a bit. Yeah, Rose in series one is brilliant. I can't really fault her in any of the episodes. Thurman's brilliant. She's human. I don't know, I think, you know, Billy Piper does a good turn in series one. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're getting away from the point but, of but what yeah. we're saying, yeah. This episode, yeah, she's good. And, yeah, it's, as we, it is full of little mentions mm-hmm. that come up later, but is responsible for Torchwood. <laughs> Sorry, the ultimate heinous crimes. And it's weird that they open this by saying, yeah, we're meant to be in Naples. Sorry, it, it, it's Cardiff. And they pull a face. Like... Was that because they didn't want to be filming in Cardiff at any point? Well, but look, look at this from your own point of view, right? If somebody came to you and said, like, we're going to go on holiday, yep. right? I'm going to take you to Naples. Yep. Not necessarily in the past, but maybe in the present day, right? Yep. So you get your suitcase packed, you're all excited, you're going to Naples where you've probably not been before. Nope. No? No. Right? Get to the airport, get in the plane, you arrive, and you're in Swansea. Would you not feel a bit no, short-changed no, 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 as no. well? No, They were in Swansea, they were in Cardiff. I was filmed in Swansea. Yeah, but they but, said oh, yeah, they but, were in Cardiff. Oh, okay, but, yeah. It wasn't going to be filmed in Naples, but let's regardless, be regardless, right? I mean, as much as I love Wales and as much as I love the city of Cardiff as well, I'd feel a little bit shortchanged if it was promised a um, fancy foreign joint and ended up... I'd be a bit sad else. if I was on a five-hour flight and I ended up in Cardiff. <laughs> <laughs> Just lots of circling Birmingham. Yeah, and I, I can see your point, but I think it was a bit harsh on Cardiff. I think, I, I think it's maybe an affectionate jibe, really. We've I mean, travelled 130 years through time. <laughs> Dare you to look sad about it? Like it's later on, it feels like more of a dig. I'm about to die in a dungeon in Cardiff. Yeah, but then that's probably just more ridiculous as a situation. Here's this guy who survived everything, survived the time war, and he's going to cop it in a Welsh capital. Survived the Fifth World War. Yeah, which we'll wait. We'll never mention again. Yeah, because everybody will be dead after World War Three, won't they? Yeah. yeah. Cockroaches and Donald Trump, that'll all be the <laughs> Some might say they're one and the same. Yes. <laughs> so, I'm sidetracking you again. Where are we going with this? Uh, we were just saying the roses, all right? Yeah. And yeah, I was saying it. it's a shame about Cardiff. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but I, 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 it really does annoy me, the whole, you know, I'm so glad I met you thing, because that just feels too soon. Yeah, it does. But, you know. It, it feels too quick in this episode. Yeah. That's it, really. 
but yeah all good stuff yeah but for the defence what do you reckon no it's not for the defence yeah no I mean no yeah, pretty much covered everything yeah I've noticed in your notes that you're a bit unhappy about how uh, Gwyneth goes yeah not getting an ending line uh, it is a bit of a shame because she's played the character well she's played the role well you found out all about her background how she's one day she'll die and meet her family in heaven mm-hmm. and it's her big death scene and she's holding the match next to the matchbox she looks up at the sky and then it cuts the doctor running away and it feels like there could have just been a line in there uh, for the character to end properly do you know I think it would have detracted from it though I think that's a good way to write her out just having you don't need words at that point because she's doing the acting with her eyes really yeah I and know it's maybe a bit more powerful not saying anything at all and then just slowly taking the match out of that noble self-sacrifice and then cut to the big massive explosion that takes out a third of the budget yeah but I think there could have been an end in line there ok yeah there could have been an end for the character but then the doctor runs away there's a boom and he goes yeah she's been dead for ages <laughs> I think that's more to make Rose feel better though can I smell roasted leek <laughs> like to apologise to any Welsh listeners that we have I'm sure the smell of sheep as well yes I'd also like to apologise to any Welsh listeners we have I'm sorry you're Welsh <laughs> it's just about we're not going for any sponsorship deals with Welsh companies here because I think we've just harpooned those I can't think of any Welsh companies yeah uh, no you're looking at yeah yeah oh, we can just say what we like about yeah. Welsh people one thing I did notice when I was looking into uh some details about this episode this is, a, this is a really strange one right? I found this in Wikipedia so we can maybe take this with a pinch of salt but I'm willing to believe this actually happened it says in Wikipedia Doctor Who novelist and faction paradox creator Lauren Smiles posted a scathing review of The Unquiet Dead on the internet within hour of its broadcast focusing on a perceived political subtext that asylum seekers, the Gelf are really all evil and out to exploit liberal generosity, the Doctor he criticised the script for promoting his xenophobia and claiming that all foreigners were invaders. Has this guy watched the same episode as us? Because I didn't get I, any I of that. I can see that point of view. I can't necessarily agree with it. Yeah, it, it, it seems like he's taking the episode and twisting it to maybe fit his own agenda here. Cause yeah, these immigrants want to come over here and steal our dead. Coming over here, taking our stiffs. Being all gaseous. <laughs> yeah. I can see it, but you could say that about most things, the subtext. You can read anything you want into it, but it's what you bring with you. Because when you look at it, the Doctor's an alien. So you could just as easily say, oh, look at these aliens coming over here, trying to help us, doing good, bunch of bastards. (laughs) Taking our 19-year-old fat-faced kids away. Coming over here, contributing to our society. Yeah. Bringing our education forward. Yeah, making things better. Showing insights into the universe as a whole. Yeah, it's just where real people don't think this way, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So I just thought it was worth, worth bringing up Sneed. Yeah. Uh, now, Sneed, he's probably my favourite character in the whole thing. Alan, da- uh, Alan Davis. No, Alan Davis. No. <laughs> Alan George. Yes. Plays him really well. Uh, but he was originally devised as a younger man in the original script. And I was going to have him played by a certain Mr. David Tennant. Which you can kind of see, but then it would have been a bit creepier. It's already creepy enough, though, because you think Sneed, right? He's dealing with dead bodies, right? Yeah. So they're at the theatre. Yeah. And uh, the, the old lady, uh, what's called a Christine, has escaped into the night. Yep. 
Christine Lady of the Night. Christine Lady of the Night. But she's escaped into the out into the out into the city. Uh, so Rose goes after her. Why does he then right, he then chloroforms her? Yeah. Firstly, right, this guy's dealing with dead bodies. Why does he need chloroform to start off with? Um, I think chloroform used to be used as a preservative. Did it? Much like okay. formaldehyde. I think it was part of the embalming okay. fluids. Might right. be wrong, but I think it's true. Okay, that, 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 now you've Still doesn't that, explain why he's got a handkerchief full of it in his pocket. Yeah, and then he just uh, chloroforming a 19 year old girl to then yeah. steal it and get a lot of cheeky feel of on the way back to the. Uh, and the I think funeral. it would be played by David Tennant, you <laughs> wouldn't have been surprised. There's plenty of that going in the TARDIS in series too. Yep. But then later on, when Rose confronts him about, about it, when they're back in the funeral parlour, and the doctor's chuckling away in the background. Oh, like he hasn't humans. done it while she's unconscious. <laughs> but the old psychic pollen in there. Yeah, we never do see what happens at the end of the part in the vase when she's lying unconscious in the TARDIS floor. Yeah. He's got an awful big grin in his face when he comes around. But yeah, that, that's one thing that's a bit of a problem in this episode is our dress code. Right. And I, I, I don't have much knowledge of actual Victorian fashion. But from what I've seen and what I, little I do know, the fact that she basically only was closed from the armpits down, it's not what I think of as a Victorian clothing. You've got a point, yeah. Like, she uh, looked a bit French can-can girl with that dress on. Yeah, she did, actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I could hear the smile on your face there. <laughs> yeah. And, and he goes, yeah, I'll change my jumper. You go put your can-can clothes on. <laughs> and the TARDIS wardrobe, third on the left. <laughs> That's not a good thing. I've changed my jumper. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with this jumper? Nothing, mate. It's fine. You're awesome. But yeah, I just, uh, that was another one of those little niggly odd things that I, yeah. I found. Yeah, right, and it's not it's not a criticism or a complaint, right? But it's something that strikes me as really odd. The Christine, the corpse, she escapes from the funeral parlour. Yep. Into the night possessed by the gelf. She goes to the theatre. Yeah. Now, she's sat in the middle of the theatre, surrounded by hundreds of people. Yep. Right? Dead centre, right in the middle of the crowd. A decaying corpse. Yep. Now, with blue gas coming out her face and We're moaning. She vapes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I know Victorians must have been the smelliest of bastards that nobody picked up on this decaying corpse uh, sitting right slap bang in the middle. Yep. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Can't yeah, argue with that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, these are all just little minor, little minor things, but... Uh, I yeah, I mean, like I said at the start, I can't prosecute this because it is great. It's a good episode. It's very, very, very good. There's little niggles, but that's all. Yeah. So I'm going to hide enough in this one. I'm, I'm going to concede defeat on this one already because I know the vote's going to go against me. No, you never know. It might not. It could have been better. Well, you know, I was confident about that in the last episode, but then you know the plebs and charlatans that listen to this podcast and vote think that the androids of Tara's all right. I mean, you know, if they can live with that and sleep at night, that's that's a thing. It's a know. democracy, I'm, I'm not annoyed about it. We might all. have loads of Welsh listeners and I'll lose this one. <laughs> but then again, I'll probably win anyway because they're at the wrong fucking button. What, what would we do if all five of our listeners, all five of our regular listeners are Welsh? Well, we'll ask one of them why he's living in Gretna. Well, we could, if we could do, you know, Cameron could have Welsh, a Welsh background. <laughs> he could have some Welsh in him. <laughs> right, before we get any more trouble, should we go into the supporting evidence? I was going to say, now that we've mentioned Cameron, let's yeah. go to Cameron Corner. Yeah, so the, 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 now we called him the George Martin of the podcast last time round. There are uh, Ringo Starr and George Harrison. And I think it's only fair that as he, yeah, as he, as he is a regular contributor, we should name the supporting evidence uh, section of the show the Cameron Corner. Yeah. I'm thinking even doing a wee jingle for it for next time round. But next time round we'll be doing an old episode, so it will not be Kyle's Corner. 
I see that works. Cameron's corner, Kyle's corner, yeah, yeah. So we'll do two jingles. Yeah. Uh, right, let's get on to Cameron's uh, thoughts about the episode. Uh, Cameron says, "Evening, lads. Back in April 2005, I was anticipating the new series Doctor Who with dread. The 1962 movie had been fine, but it awkwardly straddled the classic series stories with modern effects." Billy Piper was a crap pop star, and Christopher Eccleston was the actor Russell T. Davis had chosen simply because they had worked with each other before in The Second Coming. My knowledge of the classic series at that time was pretty much the tail end of the Colin Baker and McCoy series. My dad was a hotel manager growing up, so I didn't get a great deal of time to spend with his kids, but I had a memory of watching the older ones with him. I was defensive of old who, it was my show, how dare they change it? So yeah, he's sitting with the guy in the coffee queue now, really, isn't he? Yeah, you've, you've changed, Cameron. He's a hipster now. Yeah. I've eaten quinoa before we know it. Yeah, you liked it before it was popular. <laughs> Cameron says, yes, I was one of those bastards. But what surprised me has been quite good. At the end of a world, we've introduced the fact that Doctor Who could go both into space and time if it wanted. Both settled my nerves a little, but a nagging thought remained. Where were the stories to make the young kids hide? Enter the unquiet dead. Yep. Mainly because it's written by Mark Gattis, who has not only a knowledge of the show, but also a love of horror. Uh, maybe because it's the first of the new series to introduce real-life historical figures in the shape of Charles Dickens. Simon Callow is brilliant, isn't he? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Maybe it's because the aliens aren't bipeds easily played by a bloke wrapped in carpet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't spot that before on Reddit earlier. <laughs> maybe because it has had a damned near-perfect pitch of fun and scares. Unquiet Dead hangs together wonderfully and became, for me, the episode that confirmed that this was new who. It was still different, but still brilliant. For that, it's certainly not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. Yeah. I, yeah, that's fair. Basically, we didn't have to write any notes. We could have just read that. <laughs> we, could have, we could have saved a whole, what, 52 minutes now just yeah. by reading that. It's summed up pretty much everything. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's fine. I mean, I'm sure he wasn't the only person that had grown up with the classic series who no. felt like that when it came along. But it, it makes the point, this is the point where new Doctor Who finds its feet and gets going. Eccleston becomes a doctor yeah and I don't know how much of that is down to it being a different writer writing this for the episode rather than Russell T Davis because he's maybe yeah got his own very sort of singular vision of the show that it should be big it should be bright it should be mainstream Hollywood. yeah Hollywood yeah. on a Welsh BBC budget yeah but it should be as you say bright and shiny yeah which those first two episodes definitely are the yeah. colours wrapped up you know it's noisy it's you know action packed yeah. colourful yeah and this is an odd back to how Doctor Who used to be. Um, and I don't think it necessarily aimed to be like that in the olden days. Yeah. Uh, just they couldn't afford all the lighting that they needed. <laughs> or all the coloured fabrics. <laughs> Until it got to the 1980s. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I, I, I think he's right in everything he says. I mean, like you say, I can't prosecute yeah. this really. So yeah, solid evidence that backs it up. Yeah. Uh, Edinburgh Man, who is Edinburgh Man on Twitter, he's one of his really... Popping cork in the background there, aren't The second ball of Prosecco getting killed. Yeah, uh, the second ball of Prosecco that I bought with my own money and our wives are now demolishing in the kitchen. Not that we're better about that, sitting in the dark. With our, I'm not, because I've still got Dark Island. Yeah, my Prosecco's gone now. Uh, anyway, Edmund Man uh, says, Happy medium, for fuck's sake. What, what you can see, <laughs> and I agree with, but you can't go wrong with Doctor Who using dad jokes. Yeah, well, he's done dad dancing in the previous episode yeah. to Mark Ammon, so yeah. That's almost the character the Doctor should be, is almost like an uncool but still cool dad. Which, it works for me. It works for Eccleston. Because at that point in the story, he's safe, he's comfortable, he's relaxed. Mm-hmm. And he thinks he's doing a good thing. So he can make the dad jokes. 
he's, def- he's definitely grown into the part here. Yeah. And which maybe makes me think that, like I said, this may be filmed later in the run. But he yeah. seems much more comfortable as a doctor. He's also doing comedy. Yeah. And which people will always say about Chris Freckleson, oh, he can't do comedy. He's not a natural comedian. He's not a natural comedian. But he, but he can do comedy, though. Yes. I mean, later on in this episode... He's an actor. Yeah. But later on in this episode, when he's fanboying over Charles Dickens and the, Dickens in the Carriage, that's a brilliant scene. That's really funny. Yeah. So, you know, he can do it. Yeah. Just because his character as a doctor is more morose and damaged because of what he's been through. Hanging around with Billy Piper. <laughs> but, you know, he can do it. And you've got you can see that side to the doctor in his performance. So, yeah. yeah. That's... I, 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 Okay, so there's crap jokes, there's dad jokes, but yeah, that's it's always fine. been the case, really. It was, it's Saturday Night Telly. Mm-hmm. It's always going to have dad jokes, and there's nothing wrong with that. It seems a bit unfair to have singled them out for that, so, you know, shame on you, Edinburgh man. <laughs> shame on you. Well, we can see your point. Vote with yeah. me. Aye, well, you know, I'm, I'm not even trying to attempt to argue, because everybody will vote for you. If this vote is anything other than 100% not guilty, I'll be very surprised. Yeah, but it's really hard to pick them. Because I did not think that last week's would make it in. Yeah, I mean... It Androids of Tower is a bag of pish. But sadly <laughs> now it's canon. Well done, kids. <laughs> yeah, thanks, listeners. But like I said like I said before, we're going to find this problem later on. I mean, I know we've reached the decision where we're going to alternate who prosecutes and defends by well, flipping a coin. Yeah. But when we get to stuff like the Talons of Ainchayang and the Caves of Androzani, we're going to have this problem again. No, we're not. Because <laughs> if you really want to defend one, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You can defend it, and I'll waffle nonsense and lawyers. Fair enough. I, I, I think you're better at finding faults and things than I am, and that's maybe where I'm struggling in this. Well, I spend a lot of time with you, so I'll see a lot of faults. <laughs> I know we sound all, all chummy in this podcast, you know, like, like my mates, but they secretly hate each other, really. Not that secretly, to be honest. Nah, nah it's, it's open contempt, really. It's all over Twitter. Yeah. Uh, getting back to Twitter, Captain Mike Yates, probably not the real one. No. I'm, well, I'm fit, you know, maybe. If Richard Franklin, or yeah, it was Richard Franklin, if he's on Twitter, then, you know, get on for contributing, you know. And if he wants to, you know, come around and do a guest recording on an episode, then we'll arrange it. Yeah, he could turn traitor halfway through and go and join some uh, radical group and then redeem himself towards the end of the podcast. Yeah. That'd be good. Imagine if he actually got an actor who'd been in Doctor Who on the podcast. That'd be something, wouldn't it? We'll find one. We'll find a way. Katie Manning's at the festival this year. Maybe we could uh, ply her with enough champagne and we can uh, take the microphone down. It'd be no more coherent than any of our normal podcasts. I where so. you're going with that. <laughs> ply her a drink and take the microphone down. Slip on a John Pertry mask. She wouldn't know the difference. Anyway, you get back to Twitter. Captain Mike Yates uh, said it's one of the best openings to an episode ever. And it is. It's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I've struggled to think of any sort of the pre-title sequences in this series that don't make that mark. No. Yeah. It's it's a short open as well. It's short, it's quick, and it hooks you in. Yeah, it's the point. It does its job. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's all the uh, sporting evidence we've had uh, for that. So yeah, do you want to sum up why you think uh, Unquiet Dead should be spared and uh, not convicted of crimes against Doctor Who? Um, Eccleston turns into the Doctor. Cardiff gets the rift. Billy becomes a human being. <laughs> like Rose is the character is way more rounded after this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's scary. The people complain because it was scary. It was a good episode, and it didn't involve any of the traditional baddies. They didn't rely on anything from the past. They made new Doctor Who history. That's Involved it. the show, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, well, I can even sum up with the prosecution if I, my heart's not really in it. <laughs> yeah, it's just little niggles I've got with it. I mean, like I said, the whole sudden jump of the relationship, though, I'm, I'm so glad I've met you. It's little complaints, so. Yeah. Like I say, I, I, I concede in advance. Uh, they took the relationship forward too fast. They mm-hmm. underused Dickens. Um, the little hiccups in the story where they didn't bring it to an end as they could have. That's about it. Yeah. There's not much bad with it. Yeah, I, I fully expect this is going to be not guilty. So, But we'll, we'll let you decide. I mean, they could surprise us. Like right, said, stop but begging for the sympathy books. <laughs> A dog in the pound. Please, I've had I've had a hard time. Take pity. Just give me one. Just one, one not guilty vote. That's one guilty vote, rather. That's, that's all I'm asking. For just one not guilty vote, you could put <laughs> a smile on this man's face. You could keep this man in Prosecco with jelly babies for at least another two weeks. If you vote not guilty, we won't have to put a healthy lee down. <laughs> what if I give the sad eyes? Would that, would that help don't, anyway? Don't make those eyes at me. It makes me feel funny I'm under Tommy. <laughs> Anyway, it's not up to us, but we think it's up to you. So you know the drill by now. We put a poll up on Twitter. Uh, it runs for seven days. Vote guilty, vote not guilty. Vote available votes. And the result of the votes are... Yep. I tried to do this with a jelly baby in my mouth. Yeah, you finish can do that. I'll do this back again. So, yeah, it's not up to us. It's up to you. So you know the drill by now. Go on to Twitter. They're going to put a poll up. It runs for seven days. Vote guilty or not guilty. I'm quite dead. Guilty or not guilty of crimes against Doctor Who. We'll reveal the results in the next episode. Yeah. Talking in the next episode. Wheel of Justice. Ah, not the wheel. It's classic series. So we've yeah. got the envelopes of justice. You didn't bring all the envelopes of justice with you, did you? I did, but they're in the bag in the hall. So this is a perfect opportunity <gasps> to pause the recording for me to get a drink before I die in a sweaty mess. Right, uh, I'm going to have to confess I didn't bring all the envelopes of justice because I would have had to carry them in the top of a box of envelopes all day at work and face some awkward questions about what they are. So it's a scaled down. Uh, so what you're saying is the is rigged? It's not rigged. Right. We started talking about it, so let's just carry on from here. You, you've heard that, listeners. Uh, it's time for the, what was the Tupperware box of justice. It's now the fistful of envelopes of justice tonight. Uh, because, you know, I didn't want to be carrying around the Tupperware box of envelopes all day at my work. So what I've done, to make sure it's fair, We've done two Tom Bakers. Yeah. So I've excluded the Hinchcliffe and Holmes era and the Williams era of Doctor Who, which yeah. are all Tom Baker. Now, we could still get a Tom Baker because I've got GNT era envelopes here. So well done. I've tried to spread it across the eras we've not covered yet. Yeah. So we've got three envelopes that could contain Hartnell, three that contain Troughton, three that could contain Perrot. Well, definitely do contain Perrot. Yes. And envelopes uh, apart <laughs> a handful of GNT ones, so we could get Davidson, McCoy, or Colin Baker. I know we've covered Colin Baker, but you know that's that's a one in three chance. So I'm going to shuffle the envelopes of justice, and you know we'll do the usual thing, pretending it's a wheel. We'll play this in the yeah. over the top of it. Yeah. The mask, the end of the envelope being ripped open. So I'll let you choose, or do you want me to choose? Uh, do you want to? No, do you, you want to select the envelope? You choose. Go for it. Right. Okay. Well, I'll let you shuffle the envelopes of justice. And then I'll draw one to decide what we're going to like do I next. Like, I that these aren't all exactly the same inside. <laughs> yeah, each and every one's got the war machines in them because I'm that desperate to cover it. It's going to be really fun when you have to prosecute then, isn't it? <laughs> I've not thought it through. The, the envelopes have been shuffled. Let's see. I'm really hoping it's a Hartnell or a Trout because I love it's the like, 60s Doctor. It's like a Miss World. 
the winner is <laughs> Mrs. Polish Box. This year is oh, we've got a JNT. I'm not getting my sixties Doctor Who. Right, let's see what we've got. So we could be getting the last series of Tom Baker. We could be getting Davison. We could be getting another Colin Baker, or we could get a bit of McCoy. The tension is unmeasurable. It is. It's fairly low. Yeah. So let's see. Episode six of the Fullest Box. We will be discussing Planet of Fire. Where did you find this? The Mesos Tribe. It means there are people from Trion here. My home planet. <laughs> <laughs> the chameleon turned into the master. Oh, no. <laughs> I am the master. So what? You will obey me or die. You don't understand, Doctor. If you're holding back anything that will aid the master, our friendship is at an end. See that this Doctor burns So got a fire. Peter Davison. Nice. It's the second of last Peter Davison. Uh, introduces Perry. So <laughs> we, we, we can get our anti-Perry stance on again. Awesome. Uh, Planet is actually quite good. It's got Peter Windegard in it. But we also have to decide who's prosecuting and who's defending. That's true. Yeah, we're going to have to do the entirely technical approach of flipping the coin. I'm not a fuss really. I can either go either way on this one. So uh, That's what he said. <laughs> That's what Turlo said. I have the magical two pence coin. Oh, okay, so it's more uh, time to toss, isn't it? Uh, well, maybe you can do that before or after the coin. So Am I picking? It's been tossed. Okay. So what we're going heads, I defend, tails, you defend. Okay then. Okay. So heads, you defend, tails, yeah. I defend. Yeah. Tails. Tails. So you're defending I'm Planet of Fire. It. Good luck, mate. Good luck with I'll that. I'll find a way. It's like I said, it's not an important episode. There's planets, there's fire. What's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> also has a master in it as well. So, you know, that's another You're thing. You're writing for me. Turlo gets written out. So there's a lot going on in this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, that's you've written half my defence already. <laughs> Thank God. You know, I, I like to help out. Yeah. Only thing that remains to decide, though, there is a special edition DVD of The Planet of Fire. Uh, special in the special sense that you were sniggering at earlier on, because it's not the best example of a special edition episode. So do we use that, or do we go for the original televised um, ones? Because you've probably got that in the torrent that you've... Torrent, how dare you suggest so, such a sorry, thing? Your legally bought DVD copy of The Planet of Fire, if uh, BBC Worldwide are listening. I, I may well have a digital copy on my hard drive just in case my legally bought DVDs melt the fire. <laughs> which they might, because they're not in my house or in fact purchased. Yeah. So we'll see which copy I've got. Okay, well, we'll decide from there. Uh, but regardless, Planet of Fire, episode 6. Uh, if you've got any contributions you want to make for or against uh, do the usual thing email to polisbox at googlemail.com find us on Twitter which we're most active on really yeah we uh, are it's at the polisbox on Twitter it's a Facebook page as well you can have a look there if you want but uh, they all do get more use so yeah that's what we're going to be doing get a Davison at last yeah my doctor what do you mean at last this will be episode 6 <laughs> it's been a long way Davison's my doctor and you know I've been itching to do one so I think you should see your doctor <laughs> What a vet. So that's it, episode five. Yeah. Uh, like I said, go and vote for uh, Unquiet Dead. Reveal the results next time. And that's been it. Yeah. So I've been Lee. I've been Dave. And we're going to do something slightly different this week. We're going to uh, play out with yeah. uh, a song that we think sums up the, quiet, the Unquiet Dead in yeah. a suitable way possible. So I'll let you then. We'll see you next time. Yep. Thanks Bye. for listening. Bye.